welcome to Books in the Wild, the podcast about exploring books. I'm Carrie Schroeder. Today I speak with Mary Boffman, the co-founder and chair of the governing board for the Austin Book Arts Center and retired conservator for the Harry Ransom Center at the University of Texas, Austin. We talk about the history of book arts in Texas, the mission of the Austin Book Arts Center, and the use of book arts education to encourage literacy. Mary is a member of the Lone Star Chapter of the Guild of Bookworkers, a founding member of the Austin Bookworkers, and one of the originators of the Book Arts Fair held for over 20 years at Laguna Gloria Art Museum. The mission of the Austin Book Arts Center is to engage people of all ages in creative, interpretive, and educational experiences related to the arts of the book. ABAC regularly offers workshops in letterpress printing, bookbinding, papermaking, typography, book history and design, and various arts of the book. This continues through distance learning and virtual classes. There is a current Blue Skies GoFundMe campaign for ABAC to help with losses suffered during the pandemic. As part of this fundraiser, donations of any level are invited to watch the premiere of the documentary film, Good Book Action, on Friday, November 13th at 7 p.m. Central Time, about master binder, conservator, and founder of Book Lab, Craig Jensen. The film premiere will be followed by a Q&A with Craig Jensen and filmmaker Mark Hall. I'm speaking with uh, Mary Boffman. She's the chair of the governing board for the Austin Book Arts Center. And we're here to talk about the Austin Book Arts Center in general and also the upcoming Blue Skies fundraiser. So I'd like to start with the, the history of the center. Um, I know I was reading, it looks like it evolved from the Austin Book Workers Group. Right. Could you talk a little bit how that sort of started and how it evolved into an actual brick and mortar center? So Austin has always been a really, a town that's interested in books and fun, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, I'm kind of interested in history and one of my on my back burner <laughs> is the idea of writing a history of book arts in Austin and oh, I discovered sure. this uh, guy named Ernst Raven who I believe to have been the first bookbinder in Austin and he I know that he was friends with Sam Houston whose nickname was the Raven and I've actually found a, a binder's ticket for Ernst Raven in a book that he bound for a guy named Swanty Palm, who was the Swedish ambassador to the country of Texas right after the revolution. Swanty Palm's library was the beginning of the University of Texas library. So we can go as far back as the 1860s, <laughs> 1850s, and we've got people with a collection of books in Austin. Fast forward to the 1960s when I got to Austin, um, Austin Public Library has always been an amazing institution and very involved. And I wanted to volunteer there when I was 12 <laughs> and you know, made little cards for my books and stuff like that to lend them out to my friends. By 1980, I was working at the Ransom Center. I had already taken some classes from Jim Tapley, who, who not too long ago passed away in Florida. He'd been living in Florida for a number of years, but Jim Tapley was in Austin for a few years and he taught classes 
at Laguna Gloria, which is now called the Contemporary. So you could take bookbinding classes in Austin in the late 70s. And you had a, uh, a couple of rare book dealers, including um, John Jenkins. And John Jenkins had an in-house bindery employing Don Sanders. And Don Sanders taught several bookbinders who are still active, like Glenn Fukunaga and um, Mark Evans. And so it may still be the case that there are more bookbinding businesses in Austin than there are in a much bigger city like Houston. Right, right. And this is sort of the kernel, the beginning of this, is that you have these people in Austin that love their books and want to take care of them. Mm -hmm. So, So by 1980, Don Etherington was hired to be the head of the conservation department at the Ransom Center. I was the first volunteer at the conservation department at the Ransom Center. And then Nick Yeager and um, Jim Stroud also started volunteering. Oh, okay. So the Ransom Center also, I I feel like it's also, you know, kind of an outgrowth of all these book-loving people here in Austin. Don, of course, Don Etherington has always been, wherever he goes, very charismatic person, very knowledgeable and skilled and so he he wants to spread the word about book arts and by 1981 he had hired Craig Jensen to work in the book lab right and then um, in summer of 87 there was an institute of fine binding and that's when Priscilla Spittler arrived at the Ransom Center to take this summer class and Tony Keynes, who just passed away in the last mm-hmm. week or so, he taught a class on the Book of Armagh that summer. And so everybody made oak boards and, and Todd goat spines and text. Yeah, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. And then um, Jim Brockman taught the fine binding class. And that's what Priscilla took. And in that class were Paula Gorley, who was just on her way to teach uh, book arts at the program at Tuscaloosa. A few other people, I think Glenn was also in that class too, but um, Glenn is one of the people who was taught by Don Sanders at Jenkins Bindery. And you might know Glenn also as an amazing bass player for the Dixie Chicks, now the Chicks, among other people. But Glenn still has a bookbinding studio at his home and still does work for various people. And Mm -hmm. so does Mark Evans, who's also connected with music. So that's, you know, that's another thing in Austin. Right. Having reading books. Right. (laughs) Right. Music and reading books. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, I haven't met them. I've only I only know Glenn and, and Mark through well from yeah. Craig talking about them. By '86, the summer of '86 was when Austin Bookworkers had their first meeting in Glenn's garage. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> in his bookbinding studio in his garage. And Nick Yeager was also involved very early on, and. Um, I think Nick made the first uh, list of people that were interested, you know, to meet and talk about books or make books or, Mm -hmm. and also that summer we made alum Todd skin at Nick Yeager's house. Oh my God. It was horrific. (laughs) I I, I just in close quarters, just in a house. Wow. Yuck. 
but I, t- I completely um, admire anybody who works with animal skins and turns them into the beautiful <laughs> the book binders. And Maria Fredericks was here that summer. So, I mean, you can see that there, the, there was a nucleus of book loving people and they're mm-hmm. attracting all of these other people who go on to share book arts in places like New York City and the great Pacific Northwest and mm-hmm. on and on and on Alabama. So yeah, so Austin Book Workers started meeting in 86. And I should also say that there's also since the early 80s been a very active calligraphy group in Austin, the Capital City Scribes. Oh, okay. They've always been very organized and they've had lots of shows. So there is this group of people in Austin that loves book arts. And of course, the collection at the Ransom Center is sort of not known as well as it could be, despite Mm -hmm. many efforts of the Ransom Center to market itself. (laughs) (laughs) But there's a Gutenberg Bible there. Oh, okay. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. And it is on display all the time. If the doors of the Ransom Center were open, Right. Walk in the front door and right there, it's right there in the foyer, the Gutenberg Bible. Very cool. See, I actually haven't (laughs) been there. I know. I know. I mean, I've only been here two years and now almost a year of it's been, you know, in lockdown. So yeah, exactly. Exactly. uh, It's kind of a shame. You're going to have to take more than a weekend when you come to visit. Right. I know. I know. Yeah. So they have um, the Ransom Center has an amazing variety of early printed books. It also has a really nice collection of design bindings. There was a collector named Carlton Lake who lived in France for many years and he he collected gorgeous books by everybody you can think of that was a fine binder in France in the 50s, 60s, 70s. Yeah, he lived in Paris. And then they have a huge photography collection and a performing arts collection as well. There's just an amazing resource at the Ransom Center. And so I hope that we do open up again soon so that people can take advantage of that again. And all you need to do is show them your driver's license. You know, you don't have to be a student at the University of Texas or anything like that. You You can go and see the collection. They have in place a mechanism that you can look at the catalog before you go and fill out the call slips, so to speak. They don't pull the books until you get there but you can do a lot of work, save time beforehand to make your visit efficient. Yeah, so, and kind of a neat thing, again, I'm going on and on, but there's, it's so deep. There's just so much here. Um, <laughs> it seems like. Yeah, so by 86, we're having regular meetings and mm-hmm. we have people on the scene like Priscilla Spittler. By now, Book Lab is established and growing like crazy. Mm-hmm. And so there's a whole uh, community of people at Book Lab. And then you have all of these other people who are making books or mending old books. W. Thomas Taylor had established his rare book business. And in the building where Bradley Hutchinson's letterpress is now, when Book Lab moved from Craig's garage, it moved into the building where Bradley is now. Right. Mm-hmm. Where um, Jace Graff, a product of Book Lab and mm-hmm. Milton College. <laughs> Jace has the space that Craig used to occupy. And then, of course, they have this wonderful printmaking studio, Slugfest, in that building now, too. 
Oh, that sounds fun. It's a great uh, name. Yeah. And that was right around the corner, literally Mm -hmm. right around the corner from Flatbed Press. So the book arts people, the Austin book workers were meeting wherever they could find a free space for the first (laughs) from 87 until 2014 and Mm -hmm. regular meetings and as many as, you know, 30, 40 people wanting to make books. And out of that grew the annual book arts fair at Laguna Gloria that went on more than 20 years. And we made paper and we decorated paper and we did printing all on one day for free for the public to just come and do it. Yeah, that's very cool. And had a book hospital <laughs> for your <laughs> for children's books. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was it was beloved. It was mm-hmm. really thing and as many as 200 people would show up in one day to do this so and that doesn't happen anymore well, I mean, did that stop because of the yeah. pandemic or I would say the reason there's not a book fair here now is a lack of affordable space oh okay mm-hmm. um, the last time we talked to the the book arts fair was at the Laguna Gloria location of the Contemporary Museum for almost all of the time that it existed but toward the end there, they would say, well, if we get a reservation for a wedding, we'll have to cancel it. Oh, I see. <laughs> and, you know, they have their economic um, situations and so do we. Right. But uh, basically, book workers merged into Austin Book Arts Center and um, Austin Book Arts Center provided before the pandemic, a studio where people could rent studio time. We started having free third Thursday programs too, mm-hmm. where uh, we would have somebody each month to talk about a book arts related topic. And then we would also do a lot of outreach of the same kind, kind of similar to the book arts fair, but just one table mm-hmm. at places like Nay Day and Texas Book Festival and uh, the Austin Archives Bazaar and the Lone Star Zine Fest. Mm. So again, more book stuff, <laughs> groups of people having fun, talking about being, being nerds, as we say. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, so there's, there's just been a whole lot of um, support for books and book arts in Austin. And, um, and also uh, at the brand new downtown public library, which you definitely have to see. It's so wonderful. I did go there. I think when I first got here, um, it was actually I went to the uh, thing for the Austin Book Arts Center. I went with uh, Craig and oh, you and went to Mark. Mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we yeah. of, we've, we've now had two of our annual galas. That's what you must. Mm-hmm. The Austin Public Library has been really supportive. The head of the library when the Book Arts Center started, her name was Brenda Branch. <laughs> Is Brenda Branch? I love the name too. She's no longer the head of the library. Their new libraries, their new librarian head is Roosevelt Weeks. Mm. But Brenda um, allowed us to take some of our board members on a tour before the library's finished. Oh, wow. That was really super nice of her to do that. And we've had three little shows so far at the Austin Public Library. There was one that was kind of a general show. And then when Karen Hanmer made possible the to to buy the text of Frankenstein, I did a little make your own monster design binding class. Oh, that's fun! <laughs> it really was, and we had 
five different Frankensteins in the case at the Austin Public Library. Oh, and cool. one of our teachers, Linda Anderson, has done a show of bindings that are related to fairy tales. Mm. All of the, she did tunnel books and a lot of different structures, accordions that all had to do with one fairy tale or another. I love it that Austin um, Public Library has been supportive of the Book Art Center in that way. So with APAC, um, who, I guess, are the classes geared towards? Is it open to the whole community? Um, is it all ages? Are they primarily it's, people with book experience? Well, I was looking, I'm looking at, this is last fall's class schedule, 41 classes. Oh, wow. 41 different classes. Yeah. We'd be doing something like this now. So there are classes that are geared to teachers of kids mm -hmm. of different ages. The the teachers who teach the Book Arts for Teachers classes are former teachers. Every printing class was very popular. One of the classes was to teach you how to responsibly use the printing equipment so that you could rent studio time. Mm -hmm. And so some of these classes repeated, like the, the orientation to the printing side was a class. We have offered in the past photo process classes, things like salted paper prints and cyanotype to do the chemistry and create that yourself. Those are taught by Matt Magruder, who does all sorts of different daguerreotypes, who does all these different kinds of antique photo processes and has just issued a new limited edition book of his own in a beautiful box that he, the book he just issued is about speeches that weren't given. Oh, so, that's interesting. I know. Fascinating. What, what, what the speech that would have been given if D-Day hadn't worked out as well as it did. And then um, we have some limited paper making classes. We're still building our equipment out to be a paper making studio. And we have paper decorating classes, uh, sumenigashi, paper, traditional paper marbling, paste papers. Anybody can take the classes. Some of them, there's a series for bookbinding. So bookbinding one, two, three, and you have to take one or prove to the instructor that you're proficient enough to take two. <laughs> so leveled classes. The letterpress classes are somewhat that way as well. We have series of classes so that they build skills. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. All ages, all skill levels, 40 different classes is what we used to do. Yeah. And then the studio rental. And we have um, Vandercook, a challenge press. Uh, we have a Chandler and Price platen press, a full size that looks a lot like the pin oh. <laughs> uh -huh. with the serpentine wheel. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, Very cool. Um, we also have... We have three tabletop presses, kind of like Kelsey presses, uh -huh. and a couple of poster presses, board shears, backing presses, mm -hmm. and a lot of the equipment has been donated. So that's okay. kind of wonderful. The Blue Skies fundraiser, of course, emerged oh, because of the pandemic. Right. Do you want to talk about sure. how to be involved in that? So um, <laughs> new skill set. <laughs> How do you do a GoFundMe? Ah, mm -hmm. <laughs> well, we are. We're learning how to do a GoFundMe, and our GoFundMe began on November thirtieth, October thirtieth, October thirtieth, and it runs until December second. 
which is Giving Tuesday. We're very excited to have a world premiere video created by one of our board members, Mark Hall. Mm -hmm. And it's an interview with Craig Jensen. The way that you get your Zoom ticket <laughs> to the premiere, which is this Friday, mm -hmm. is to make a donation in any amount on our GoFundMe site. Um, so, I think you have to give at least $10. I don't think okay. they take any less than that. But so we I, just to clarify, but um, we're talking about October or oh my gosh. I know. I feel like, okay, yeah, time is completely irrelevant. No, uh, November 13th, Friday, yeah, Friday 2020. Mm -hmm. Lucky and then, Friday the 13th. Oh of my gosh. <laughs> and then uh, Craig Jensen, as we mentioned earlier, um, the founder or one of the co-founders of Book Lab and then Book Lab 2. And then you met him at the HRC. Right. Okay. I was volunteering. The, the department at the Ransom Center started in 1980. Mm -hmm. And I volunteered, I had already, I was already working there. You know, you're old when the jobs that you held no longer exist. <laughs> so I filed catalog cards and mm -hmm. I shot microfilm at the Ransom Center. Oh, wow. <laughs> I <know>. And <laughs> I was also, I was actually um, the supervisor of the card filers about the time that Don Etherington arrived. But I had mm -hmm. always been interested in book arts and had already taken classes with Jim Tapley and was also mending books in the general circulation collection because you could do a thing called staff sharing. So I was, uh, my wonderful supervisor, Mary Beth Bigger said, sure, you can do 20 hours there and um, staff share with them. It was a nice program that the university used to do to kind of keep their employees' skill sets getting larger. I was um, 20 hours a week at the book mending unit at the main U University of Texas library, and then 20 hours a week supervising people filing cards. Of course, now everything is online. Don established the conservation department. I started volunteering there Mm -hmm. And then Craig was hired in 81. And by 83, I was no longer in the cataloging department. I was in the conservation department full time and had gotten a, a book uh, conservator one position. And so Craig was my supervisor. Oh, okay. Yeah. He started book lab in 84 in his garage and it quickly outgrew the garage. Yeah. <laughs> It's but so very, funny hearing uh, all these names that I like that I've heard of, you know, and, and yeah. that's the fact that everybody's so interconnected. And I mean, I also worked with Craig for two years and then yeah. also like Nick Yeager, like I didn't know him through book lab. Like I met him through Mills because like he came and visited the school. Yeah. So I just, it's just so funny how there's like a, a web that everybody's connected through. It's so true. We're all sort of book nerds. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> In 93, I was the site host for Paper Book Intensive with Gary Frost. Oh, very cool. Yeah, we had yeah. Uh, Fisher, Texas, and our the logo for, the, for that year was the fire ant. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I want to go into it too deeply. <laughs> but yeah, mm -hmm. but as early as 87, Guild of Book Workers had a standards meeting at the Ransom Center. 
Don Etherington was always involved in anything related to the Guild of Book Workers. And same mm -hmm. thing for Priscilla. The Austin Book Arts Center started in 2015. We're five years old. So yeah, and we loved being at Flatbed. It was the perfect place for a book art center to start. Uh huh. And we were there until uh, February of 2019. And now that building is a condo. <laughs> they oh, really? Yeah, that's why we had to move because Flatbed turned into a condo. Oh, I didn't realize that was why. That's yeah. a shame. We, I think we would have happily continued at the flatbed studio because there were it was big enough for about 14 different artist studios. I see. So we could have just moved into a bigger space, but we had to be brave and start out on our own mm -hmm. in February of 2019. You know, kind of really getting into the sink, uh, into the swing of things. And then boom, the pandemic happens a year mm -hmm. after we finish paying off our moving expenses. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm, yeah. yeah. I, I am interested, actually, when I was reading the mission statement oh. and your bio, you were talking about encouraging literacy through well, with yeah, book art education. And one of the wonderful things, as I mentioned, we have former uh, public school teachers and private school teachers, retired teachers who are teachers for the Book Art Center. Mm -hmm. And um, some of them are art teachers and others taught other subjects. Um, and um, elementary through high school level people are teaching at the Book Art Center. What I've always noticed whenever I am involved with a class with kids mm -hmm. <laughs> and compare that to a class with adults, when children make a book, they start writing or drawing in it immediately. Sometimes they mm -hmm. don't even want to wait until it's completed. They mm -hmm. want to start writing and drawing they're just eager. They're so, they're so excited. Mm -hmm. Whereas sometimes adults will pull out this book that they made five years ago in a class and there's not a word in it. Yeah, I could tell, I could definitely see that. It, it's, it's almost paralyzing sometimes when you have a book, like, I don't know, you have to add words to it. It's too intimidating, yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I, so I find that really interesting. Mm -hmm. And I feel like kids really want to tell their stories. They love to make stuff. I think that they have a sense of pride and self-esteem and they use their imaginations when they're making books. And all of that feeds into literacy, how to read. To have their own book is a thing that makes a child want to learn more and fill that book up with their, with their own story. And uh, an interesting thing that happened over the last year, our biggest third Thursday program, the most people who ever attended the program was for a thing that is called a cartoniera. Cartoneras were um, started in South America during an economic downturn when the people who would gather cardboard boxes and resell them didn't have a market anymore. And so they went looking for new markets and people started using really inexpensive materials like cardboard, like corrugated cardboard boxes, to use that as the covers of little self-published books. And it was political manifestos and poetry and um, zines and all kinds of things. And that movement kind of became 
more and more artistic, making an artistic statement about the materials that the book is made out of. Mm -hmm. So it, it moved to Cuba and Central America. And that's where uh, Jesse Gaynor encountered Cartaneras for the first time. And there's a, on the University of Texas campus, there's a library, uh, the Benson Latin American Library, and they have a collection of Cartaneras. It's all the subject areas that I mentioned earlier. They can mm -hmm. be political or poetic or artistic or all of the above. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's kind of interesting too, because sometimes people will use the printing on the cardboard box to expand upon a design, or sometimes they'll cover it up or people do all sorts of things with books. Especially relevant now too, because so yeah. many people are just at home, you know, right. I, I, I rarely go to the studio. I'm working right. from home. So, yeah. and there's not a lot of access to materials or equipment unless right. you're lucky enough to just have that there. Well, it also makes it more accessible for people of limited means. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Anybody has cardboard boxes lying around mm -hmm. and scrap paper that you can bind together with whatever you happen to have on hand. Jesse's a professor at Texas State University in San Marcos. Okay. And, and for the last several summers, he's had a free or pay as much as you can summer camp for kids. And they always use cartoneras. They do all kinds of stuff with kids with book arts. And he, uh, he and Linda Anderson, one of our instructors, put together um, free videos that are on the Austin Book Art Center website that show you how to make cartoneras and other structures that are suitable for children. So we're off, I think I forgot to mention that earlier that we have that on the website for free, free access. It's just there and you can, anyone can use it. There, one of our, like you, <laughs> other people are moving to Austin and they have been involved in book art centers elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Natalie Freed taught at the center in San Francisco Oh, okay. And teaching two classes, two different types of classes that she taught in San Francisco. And one of them is the use of electric circuits to create books that make noises and have lights. In nice. fact, she helped me with my Frankenstein <laughs> so that my Frankenstein book in the exhibit I mentioned earlier had a lightning flash. Oh, how cool. <laughs> it was. That's very cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And um, she also has this neat um, class that involves making a stab sewn binding like a Japanese style binding, but mm -hmm. you make all sorts of other kinds of patterns. And there's sort of a mathematical way to figure out how you can sew these amazing intricate designs into your spine area without crossing. You know, you have to figure out how many holes and, and the path of the thread right. so makes sense. So like yeah, fun too. yeah, Natalie's amazing. And um, actually this week on Wednesday, um, we're, we're limiting the number of people who can be at the Books, Book Art Center at one time. Mm -hmm. Not doing studio time right now, but we are doing some visiting and some uh, material sales in person six feet away with masks mm -hmm. and ties and all that 
but there's a fellow who's coming on Wednesday who just moved here from New York and he spent lots of time printing at the center in New York City. But yeah. Well, I noticed in the shop online, um, you have a lot of full kits as well, which I think are, yes. it we, sounds really great for people that maybe are just getting started and are intimidated by the whole thing. So well, that's the thing. Each of our book arts classes that is online comes mm -hmm. with a kit. And in any case, the classes are recorded so that, that the students have access to them later. I mean, each class that you sign up for, uh, a kit is mailed to you with, I'm not going to say 100% of the things, but pretty much everything you need to do the class. You might need to get your own all or, mm -hmm. you know, they don't want you to send some things through the mail. <laughs> right, right. All the sharp objects and glue and things, I'm assuming. Yeah. We did send paste. We found oh, okay. a little tiny containers of paste that we could send for the Japanese bookbinding class. But yeah, generally you might need a few tools, a ruler, cutting mats, always helpful. Mm -hmm. We try to make a very good quality product so that people will come back for more. And that's been a wonderful outcome of the pandemic is now we have people taking the classes in other states. We're thankful for that. Yeah, I do think, I mean, I mean, obviously this year has been so rough, but I am interested to see how people have been adapting in these creative ways. Um, I actually really love seeing everyone's, when they do teach remotely, they're, they have their whole setup of how they do it. And it's just yeah. kind of interesting that we're all learning how to do this together. Yes. Now I we I we I helped set up the um, set up at the book art center to do the classes and mm -hmm. you find out things like if you're trying to draw with a pencil, no one is going to be able to see that line. <laughs> it's right. Too People just can't see a pencil line on Zoom. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. Little little things that you have to learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So but, how can um how can people, I guess, find out more information? How can they become involved with the, with the fundraiser? Well, the quickest and way is through our website, which is atxbookarts.org. Okay. Pretty easy to see, atxbookarts, with an S, .org. And then just look for the Blue Skies tab at the top of the webpage. Mm -hmm. And that will take you to the information about the fundraiser, and the premiere of the film. And there's different donation, uh, like tiered donation. Yeah, but the donation well. gets you a ticket to the mm -hmm. film premiere. And after the premiere, it will the film will be linked to our website or to the fundraiser. I forget what they decided. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the film will be available. But the thing that you'll get this Friday at 7 p.m. Central Time, November 13th, Friday, November 13th, 7 p.m. Central Time. After the film, there will be a Q&A discussion between Craig and the filmmaker and this wonderful guy named Greg Choti, who is a announcer, has a program on a local cooperative radio station. What is it about these creative people? He likes to make books. <laughs> <laughs> He's a photographer, mm -hmm. so he likes to make photo albums. Well, um... Thank you so much for talking with me. I'm excited for the premiere of this, of the film. Mark is very good. He's made mm -hmm. 
two documentaries already, full-length documentaries that I'm aware of, and he's okay. also working on another one right now, which is, uh, it's about politics in Panama. And his other documentaries, one of them was about the worldwide trade of sushi. Huh. I know. <laughs> and then another one was about charter schools. Mm. And I've seen both the sushi film and the charter school film, and they're both excellent, excellent films. They're full length. Mm -hmm. But he and his cinematographer uh, went and interviewed Craig and uh, just uh, looks very nice. And you really get anybody who hasn't met Craig before will get an idea of what kind of guy he is and see some beautiful books. And I think that the Q&A will be fun, too. You know how. Craig, really, Craig live is, is yeah, nobody he's, quite like that. <laughs> yeah, he's such a good storyteller. He gets so into it. <laughs> it's, it's funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much. Um, is there any last things you'd like to mention? And I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll put all the links to everything we've talked about in the show notes. The only thing I want that I want to say is mm-hmm. thank you. Thank you oh. so much for the opportunity to talk about Austin Book Art Center and this film. And I really admire that you've made these podcasts and they're really fun. So I hope that people listen to other podcasts in addition to this one. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. For more information about the Austin Book Arts Center, visit atxbookarts.org. For more information about Craig Jensen and Book Lab, you can visit bookways.com. As always, you can find out more about Books in the Wild at booksinthewild.com or my own work at coyotebonespress.com. Thank you so much for listening, and please join me next time for our favorite book art terms and idioms.